Another edition of the Stephanie Gately Show podcast only on WFUVsports.org. The Fordham Rams 19-6, now fourth place in the Atlantic 10. We'll have Coach Gately on in just a moment as the Rams finish up a two-game week and head into a one-game week. They beat George Washington at home, a big win, 67-58, before a real heartbreaking loss, 78-77, against the Spiders of Richmond on the road. They'll face LaSalle coming up this week on Saturday. And as we turn to Coach Stephanie V. Gately for the opening of uh, the show here, Coach, take me through this week, and, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster, I assume, for you guys, playing some, some good competition, winning one game but falling in the other. Just take me through that roller coaster. That's the Atlantic 10 in a nutshell. I think the last two games are kind of sum up what the Atlantic 10 is this year. I think anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And if you have lapses, you know, which we did in the Richmond game in the first half, it'll come back to bite you. So, I mean, I thought we played a pretty complete game and beat a very good GW team at home. And I thought we competed well for about 32 minutes, you know, of 40 against Richmond before we had the two double overtimes um, that we had to add to it. But, um, I just got I got to be honest I think those two games kind of sum up the Atlantic 10 and it's anybody's conference and the more mentally tough team is going to come out the victor. Well, let's begin with the GW game and we'll continue with Richmond in a couple of minutes. When you look at GW, it, they really came into this game they they have a coaching staff that's really beginning to figure things out a little bit. Uh, a lot of new players coming into their program and they really started to turn it around maybe like you did a year ago for you guys to beat a team like that how important is that to assert yourself in those top couple of spots within the conference against a team coming into your gym well I thought it was big just because they had just come off a huge road win against Duquesne and um, I think just the fact that they had won three straight they were playing with a lot of confidence and we were coming off a tough you know Bonaventure loss I think for our kids, it was important to protect our home court and to beat one of the top-tier teams. Now, in that game, a stat I, I really never seem to see, 21 assists on 22 made baskets. And, and your team does move the basketball exceptionally well. But that exceptionally well, not necessarily. Take me through how impressed you were with those kind of, of productive numbers distributing the basketball. You know, after the game, um, I guess Andrew, our sports information director, had mentioned something to Jenna, and um, and I was like, it was almost like a wow factor because that's just that's an incredible statistic. I don't know if anybody's had that in the country. You know, this year every every basket assisted but one. Uh, you know, we've won over a lot of new fans. In fact, one of Coop's teammates, I guess his dad, came to our game after their practice. You know, last week at Fordham Prep and. He said, you know, I'm a new fan. I'm coming to next week's game. He just said, I love the way you guys share the ball. I love how hard your kids play. And, and even though we had the tough loss against Richmond, I, th I think there was, it's a lot different than the loss against Hofstra, you know, where there's effort. And, there's, you know, I, I felt the Hofstra game when there was a lack of effort. And, and I think we're at a point now where we're playing well. I thought, you know, I think everybody's contributing. And on different nights, anybody can, you know, anybody can beat anybody. But I think we have all cylinders now working. Now, when you look at Erin Rooney, she's been a big part of, of the ability to pass the basketball, but even having an Emily Tapio scoring more in, in the most recent game, set a career high in points, rebounds, but most importantly, assists. How much does it help to have forwards that can pass the ball out, kick it out to a player like a Hannah Misery, or find the open three, and even in transition to be able to pass the basketball as effectively as you guys have? Well, I mean, I think all the pieces make the puzzle. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, look at, like, Emily's statistics, and then look at Sam Clark. I mean, five threes. 
but a lot of that is, I think, you know, I challenged Sam and she's been coming in and working and I think she's realized that the repetition and the extra time into it has given her added confidence to shoot the ball. And so now she becomes a force inside and out and Sam's playing with a high level of confidence and we have our guards, you know, like there's some, you know, like an example, Richmond game was a game that Abigail didn't shoot well. You know, but we stayed in the game because Emily and Sam contributed. But if we have a game where we're all working together, you know, we're a hard team to beat. Let's step into Samantha Clark for another second because you talked to me last week on this podcast and you said, you know, I've been working with her. I've been trying to get her to shoot the basketball with more confidence, to do it more effectively. Career-high five three-pointers against Richmond on the road. She fouled out, but her impact, you, you talked about inside and out. What specifically did you work on with her, whether it was mechanically or just trying to get her head in the right direction to get her to shoot so much better so quickly? Repetition. I mean, it's like, and, you know, I always tell the kids, you know, just as kids, if you're going to go into a, a psychology test and you're not prepared, you're probably going to fail. If you're going to go in a game and you're not going to get extra reps of shooting, you're not going to get enough reps in practice. It's just not the way it works. We don't have enough time to do shooting drills and get you guys enough reps. So we tell the kids all the time, you know, they have shooting workouts that they're responsible for doing. Uh, and I told Sam, you know, she's now going to come in twice a week with the coach and, you know, she's going to do We're going to make her do it, you know. So if you don't want to do it on your own, we're going to make you do it. And Sam's never shot away from doing it. I just think now with her, us kind of simulating shots will get an offense, I think it's helped her. And now she's shooting without thinking before there was some thought process. Even when she got her shot block, I think, in the Richmond game the other day, I was like, that's all right, good shot, move on. You know, like move on to the next shot. And I think that's what good shooters do. When you look back to this GW game, is this a, a, the kind of game where you, whether it was similar to VCU or not, is neither here nor there, but both of them are wins against teams that have won all season long and have been consistently good. How important is it to have that under your belt as you move forward, one on the road, now this one at home? I mean, I, I think it's definitely good from a, from a confidence standpoint. I mean, especially the fact that knowing that Duquesne's lurking and, and you know, next week around the corner and, and playing a GW who had just beat Duquesne at Duquesne. Mm -hmm. So for our kids to gain that confidence of beating a team, you know, on our court that it was playing with a high level confidence, GW had also beat St. Joe's. So it just makes us realize that we are capable of winning those games. But I think with our kids, it's, you know, it's never a question of effort. It's never a question of attitude because I tell them all the time, there are two things I should never have to coach, effort or attitude. Um, so, I mean, the, the Richmond game, was it's obviously hard to lose those games, but the fact is we had great shots. We had a chance to win it. We defended the last shot fairly well. Um, and at this point in the season, it's the teams that put together the best 40 minutes are the teams that are going to win. Yeah, now let's move forward here. We started talking about Richmond there, but you guys really towards the end of the first half allowed Richmond to really jump out and assert themselves. I believe it ended up being a 21-4 run, and that's very uncharacteristic for your team to allow that kind of run. Hasn't really happened to that extent all year. What did Richmond do during that stretch that either had you confused or had the players allowing so many open shots defensively? What, what were they doing? I think their confidence built on our breakdowns. We had a couple turnovers during that segment, and their, you know, they had a lot of points off our turnovers. And even though we had more assistant turnovers, they capitalized on all our turnovers. And then we would double the post, and they, you know, they're the last place shooting team in the conference in three points. But of course, you know, against us, they were going to be on fire. Like number four, the point guard. I think the game before she was 0 for 4, and the other game from that 1 for 6. And of course, against us, she's going to go 5 for 6. But we let them get into a rhythm. And I think we, once 
we we were up 18 to 10. I said to the kids at the 6:33 mark, the score was 18 to 10. At the end of the half, it was 34 to 24. We had given up a 20-46 run. And I said that was from due to turnovers, giving up offensive rebounds, and not focused defensively. And so once we allowed them to get their confidence, I think that's what affected us. Now, is this the, the kind of reason everyone says it's hard to beat a team twice? You just beaten that team in the Rose Hill Gym a month prior is this what they're talking about? And maybe a, a little less focused, maybe allowing some defensive lapses. Is this something where maybe the team didn't come in as focused as you would have liked on the little things that maybe made them successful in the first edition of this season series? No, no I don't think the kids think that way. I know I was personally concerned. I knew it was going to be a war. I knew it was going to be a down-to-the-wire game because we shot 61% against them here the first time. That's a pretty incredible statistic. And they're a tough defensive team. I think they're a real solid defensive team. We just shot extremely well. But, again, you know, I, I thought the first half of that game was probably the worst half of basketball both Aaron and Abigail had. And, unfortunately, they both had it together. You know, they both had their worst halves in the same game. You know, I thought, you know, Aaron rebounded well in the second half and, and was able to score, and Abigail could never get going. And so if Abigail even shoots 30%, we win that game. You know, but that's just the way it is. And, you know, and she's, you know, you can't ever fault it because she had all great looks. But, um you know, defense is, is what we do, and these kids know. It, you know, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, I wrote a poem. I like poetry. I wrote a poem about 40 minutes. It's not a 39-minute game. It's a 40-minute game. You must play it like a 40-minute game. If you want to win the championship, which I said, you got to have a chip to win the ship. You know, you got to have a chip on that shoulder. And so for, in order for us to win the championship, we got to play with a chip on our shoulder. got to play with something to prove. Well, certainly something to prove now after – Falling to this Richmond squad, let's move into the second half because you guys really did have that chip on your shoulder at the half. You came out, and it seemed like at first things stayed stagnant around that 10-point mark. Got up to 13, came down to 6, sat back around 10. Then you guys started biting into it. You get it down to you know a one-point game. What are you thinking about at that point in time? Did, did you feel like your team had, had gotten over what was a, a bit of a lackluster stretch at the end of the first half and and put it together to the point where you thought you guys would be able to pull that out? Well, I mean, I thought Richmond hit some uncharacteristic shots. I mean, so I knew, I, I didn't know, but I was hoping or thinking that they were going to cool off, and they did. I mean, I thought, you know, our biggest goal always defensively is to dictate on defense. Let's dictate who gets the shots and what shots they get. If, you know, if their best player is going to get the shot, then let's make them go left if they like to go right, or right if they like to go left. You know, make somebody else beat you. And so for us, you know, I think – it was a situation in the second half where, you know, once we settled down and made a couple shots and our confidence started building, I think that started to affect Richmond too. They started to get a little tight, you know, and, and uh, I think it did affect us when Sam fouled out because then we had to give Mary some, you know, some big minutes and Mary's used to playing, you know, spot time. So, I mean, it was obviously a, a great learning experience from us. I would much rather learn from a win than a loss. But, you know, at this point in the season, we got to learn from it and move on. So let's move forward here. The final stretch of this game. Let's start with regulation because there were three final stretches of this game. At the end of regulation, tie game. You guys have the basketball. Was Aaron Rooney expected to take that to the hole to the cup the entire time, or uh, were there any other options on that play specifically? It's a read. You know, we wanted the ball in Aaron's hands, and we said, you know, if you get double coverage, Mary will be open in the gap. You know, so it was a read. If Aaron felt she had the lane, take it. If she felt she had the person open, which she did in the first overtime, and Mary had a great look. So um, I thought Aaron did a great job recognizing. Unfortunately, the shot didn't go. 
Yeah, let's move forward to the second, uh, pardon, the first overtime then. The, so the second final stretch of the game. And again, you guys are able to tie it up again. You're able to get the last shot. Mary hits that shot, right elbow jumper, wide open, probably nine or ten times. And, and certainly this was a case where Aaron found her in a perfect spot. Is this the kind of thing where you're so shocked you're open? Is it knowing you're in the final seconds, or is this just something that happens? You, sometimes you make it, sometimes you miss it. That's exactly it. Sometimes you make it, sometimes you miss it. I don't think Mary, because we knew, we, we felt that that was going to be open. So we thought it would be a gap shot there at the high post um, because of the way they had been showing to defend Aaron and Abigail. So we just said, hey, listen, if you have the lane, Aaron, take it. If you get doubled, kick it to Mary. Mary knocked down that shot. And Mary had a great look. I thought it went down. I mean, she makes that shot nine out of ten times in practice. Um, it didn't. That's part of the game. What do you say, whether it's to Aaron or Mary, and we'll talk about Abigail there in the, in the second overtime, what do you say to them either that night or the day after to just make sure they turn the page and, and they don't rethink that, you know, final seconds or, or the final shot or what they could have done differently? You know, one thing we talked about in films today is that the opportunity is going to come again and take it. I'm going to take it again. I'm going to put it right back in your hands. I believe in you. You have to let them know you believe in them. You have to let them know it was good shots. I said to them, as a coach who's been doing this a long time, where you really struggle and it's hard for you to sleep is when you don't get shots. You know, when you turn it over. And, that, and that's that's where it's frustrating. But the fact is, we got four shots to win the game. And, I don't, you know, it's really unfair to count Daniel Burns' shot because it was a Chuck shot. But we got four shots to win that game. You know, we didn't make it. That's part of the game. But the fact is, my thing always to the kids is put ourselves in position to win the game. And I thought we did that. Let's go into the second overtime because Janelle Hubbard, who you, you talked about it, she played a very good game, particularly shooting the three-point shot really all night long. When she left the game, it seemed like you guys were able to perform much better when she was in the game. She seemed to control things on offense very well. What was she doing effectively? And we'll get to her shot in a moment, but just throughout the game that allowed her to put up so many points and, and be so effective. Well, I think, you know, they've had an injury to one, their top scorer who went out a couple games ago. And like Dayton, I think they've had some time to recover from it. And what had happened is both her and the other kid, 21, you know, they they were in a situation now where they're taking twice as many shots. So confidence builds. I mean, Hubbard had had some really good games leading up to that, you know. So we weren't surprised that she was going to want the ball. That's why we tried to go into what we call our tag defense where we deny and you know, they were able to get the ball to her. We actually went to double that ball screen, which we did, and she had a tough baseline jump shot, which is, you know, odds-wise, is the hardest shot to make. Now, when DJ and I were watching this from press row, timeout, of, you know, on the floor, you get a chance to set your defense, and you guys picked right. But for you, you've been coaching for a while. Take me through what you're thinking as you're telling your team what to do. Was it Initially, you expected Janelle to get the ball. Did you expect King to be involved? What what made you decide that that was the defense you were going to play on that final possession for Richmond? Because they had run a high ball screen about three of the five possessions before, so we knew they were going to go high ball screen, and they knew we were going to attack our big. And so we just said, I finally went, and it's taken me a long time. I finally said, and I said to my husband later, I said, you know what? I finally let go and said, let's go for it. We're doubling it. You know, we're going to take the risk. And uh, if they're going to beat us, she's going to have to kick back to that post player, you know, who was a sub because their post player fouled out, Cora fouled out. So we decided to double it. And, you know, that's why it was, like I said, easier to swallow because we did double it. 
You know, Mary and, and Aaron both chased her, and they chased her down to the baseline, and she had to make a tough shot. So we anticipated the ball screen. We anticipated going to either of them, and it, whoever, either one that went to, we were doubling that ball screen. So the ball goes in. You're out of timeouts. Abigail, most of the time, you'd love for Abigail Corning to have the ball in the final seven seconds, but she just struggled, couldn't really get anything to go down, even shots wide open, even layups, just nothing seemed to go down for her. When she goes up the floor, what's going through your mind knowing that at that stage, nothing really you as a coach can do. You can't call time. You can't set a play. It is what it is. We practice special situations an awful lot, probably a lot more than a lot of teams do. Um, the only thing I said to Abigail, which I, th- I felt you could have done differently, is, is go right back to the inbounder, which was Aaron. You know, but again, if, if Abigail's 12 for 18 instead of 3 for 18, then that's fine with Abigail. And Abigail got a good look. I mean, she got shot blocked. If she up fakes and leans in, you know, we're at, she's at the line. You know, but Abigail did get a shot off. You know, I just think it's, as a defensive coach, it's harder to defend the inbounder at full steam than it is the person that catches the ball in. So I prefer to go back to the inbounder. But I think the kids, like even just having watched that Syracuse men's game last night, is that with no timeout, I think there was a little set of, okay, I got it, I got to push this up. I I don't think she's thinking, you know. And I spent a lot of time telling the kids, all right, for every second you have a dribble. So if there's 7.6 seconds, you have seven dribbles, you know. And and so we, you know, we're a very detailed-oriented team. Um, But when you get to that situation when, you know, the clock's running down and game's on the line, all you're thinking is, which she did the right thing, she got a shot off. So she gets that shot off. Burgess comes up. You said the backup big is in, came from behind, blocked her. Ball comes to Danielle Burns. You called it a, a chuck, which with one second left on the clock was really all you could get, but nearly put that in. And I, I'm sure you had a good angle on it because you were essentially on a similar angle to me. What did you see when she faded away with that? It ended up missing off the front of the iron, but did, did your gut say that one was headed in somehow? You know, the one I thought had the best shot was Mary to win it mm-hmm. in, in the first overtime. because One, because there was no defense on her. There was a shot she makes nine out of ten times, and it wasn't a pressure. I'm going to say it's not a pressure situation. It was tie score, so it wasn't like if she misses, we lose. If you misses, we're still in overtime. So I thought that had the best chance of going. Danielle's, I could just tell she was, she wasn't even you know square. You know, so I really didn't think. I, I was surprised there was still time for her to get the shot off. So the fact that I looked at the clock and said, "Shoot, she gets the shot off, it can still count." So I was impressed that we were able to get two shots in that possession. But unfortunately, we just lost the same way. Richmond had just lost to VCU three three days prior to that, which is the way the conference is going. So let's move forward. Your team now 19-6 and six, in a good position to still possibly secure a top four bye in the Atlantic 10. And the race down the stretch begins with LaSalle this weekend. And for you, before we talk about the game itself, and I know how big a game this is for you and your family, Bring me through the the beginning of you know having a game played in memory of your father and and what it means for you to be able to continue that tradition here at Fordham. Well, I mean, it, there's a lot of things going on because we have the senior day and it's going to be hard to say goodbye to. It's a, it's a special group, um, and you know the game in honor of my dad. We try to make it a game where we feel we're going to get a lot of people there so that we can you know kind of pass the message along because you know I mean as most kids do they feel their dad's the most special person you know or male figure in their life and and with my dad he was in my opinion one of a kind I mean he was president of Little League for 40 years the baseball fields in our hometown are named after him president of the football club for over 40 years and not only that he had such a generous heart and such a great sense of humor and um 
you know, I just think that well, he was a man for others, and he would always remind me, like, every day we had a responsibility to make somebody else's life better. And he always taught me to praise in public and reprimand in private. And as a little kid, when I look back to all the times I would follow him in Little League, I, would, I gained so many valuable lessons that at the time I didn't even realize I was gaining. And so for, for me, it, it's, it is a special day. A lot of my family will be here. And I started a scholarship fund in his honor, which, you know, we've been able to use those funds to help some people that are going through some difficult times. And, and it's a way of keeping my dad's spirit alive. I mean, they have, a, they have a golf outing in honor of my dad now, my brother-in-law, Jack Davis. So um, it's a way to keep his spirit alive and to let people know what kind of a legend he was. Well, it's certainly very special for you. And, and you talk about the other reason this game is so special. Senior day in the Rose Hill gym, so it's – players some have been here for a while some have just been here for one year or, or a couple of years as opposed to being here for the last four but certainly they've all had their own journey to get here the, the seniors are going to lose how hard is it going to be to to replace them not only on the floor but off the floor as leaders as scholars as as people who represent your program well I mean you don't even like to think about it to be honest because you never want them to graduate and you know, like to bottle it you know, I've only had a year with Mary, you know, only two years with Brianna, but I've had more of my time, obviously, with Abigail and Erin. Um, and they certainly leave their marks as, you know, you know, carrying Fordham to two of the best years in the school's history, you know, and left their mark also from a, a statistical standpoint. So um, it's going to be hard. That's why I want to enjoy this last stretch and last, you know, segment of our season this year, just because they're two very, very special kids in the group of them, the, the quartet are of the four of them is is that quartet is that the right word is that, okay, okay good um is 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 a, is a good group of kids and so um senior day is always an, an emotional time but i don't like to think of it as the last game you know but it's um i think there'll be a lot of emotions involved but you know we want to protect our home court well and they've done a very good job of that especially since you've arrived protecting home court in the rose hill gym and you'll be doing it against a lasalle team that has played some, some pretty decent basketball within the Atlantic 10 schedule. The film you've seen of them so far and even your past encounters with them, what do you anticipate seeing on Saturday? They're very different from last year. I mean, all their key players didn't even play last year, so it's a completely different team. They have a transfer 6'4 kid on, in the post from Pittsburgh. You know, that, you know, she's a big kid. She's a tough matchup. And they have at the guard position, you know, another another transfer from Providence. And, you know, so they have, you know, and then they have a very, very good freshman. So, I mean, they're a different team from last year, and they're an unpredictable team. I mean, they go and beat GW at GW. They beat VCU, you know, but then they go and get blown out of Bonaventure. And, you know, and then they get blown out, you know, I uh, forget somebody else they played. They, you know, they, so their scores are unpredictable. So for us, I can't really, as much as we have to obviously be aware of what they do, i got to focus on us, you know, put our attention on what we do and what we do well and try to take them out of what they do. Now, Coach, before we get to all the, the thank yous and the hellos that, that have become so standard in all of our Coach Gately interviews, it's a snow day on Rose Hill today, but you're working. But on previous snow days in a, in a, in a younger day of yours, what was your favorite thing to do? Was it, were you building snowmen? Were you inside? What, what were you doing? As a kid, we were just begging for that radio to hear the radio call our school number, 824, you have no school today, <laughs> you know. And then it was like, back to bed. And then we went ice skating or, you know, had the hot chocolate and, you know, came from a family of eight. So, I mean, you could always find something to do. I, I mean, I even kid at Coop the other day, let's go make a snowman, you know. So, I mean, it just, there's always something fun to do. But I think the best part of a snow day is knowing that it's like no school. 
you know, and that's what's funny. At practice day, I'm looking up and I'm seeing no lights on. I mean, really, when you think about our season, it's a long season because you're working six, seven days a week. I know I'm on seven days a week, you know, because mm-hmm. between watching films and you're looking up and it's like, well, what would it be like to not have to come in for a day and, you know, not have to watch films just to lay around and you kind of get jealous that you miss all the breaks. Like we don't get Thanksgiving. We don't get Christmas. You know, it's you're missing all those breaks. But, you know, I'm fortunate. I'm doing I'm doing something I love with it with a group that I love. And and so I just I count that as one of my many blessings. And um, so snow days are great days. Coach, it was a Tuesday game. Wouldn't you have just, you knew this snow day may have been coming. Why? How about you practice Wednesday and take Thursday off, no? Physically, I think after a double overtime, mentally and physically, mm, the suffering celebrate, you know, you had to get them over that and you had to give yourself some time for your body to recover. So for us, I think we ne- mentally needed that day off, mm. you know. But it, made, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, Mike, but now nah, I had to follow my gut. This is why I broadcast and you coach. Exactly. Yeah. Monday morning, Mike. <laughs> Certainly, I get to I get the hindsight, the factor where I'm allowed to maybe go back mm-hmm. and second guess. I'll allow this one though, no yeah. doubt. Coach, let's get into uh, who's probably listening, who might be listening, and who definitely isn't listening. You can say whatever you want about them because they they probably won't hear it anyways, <laughs> right? Well, I know. I mean, for sure, Courtney is always listening because she always says to me, "Could you make sure that they put that podcast up so I know exactly where to go to find it?" So she is religious. So. Absolutely, Courtney. Happy Valentine's Day to Courtney and the Law family and Nero, our new puppy. Um, of course, going to say Vicky and Carl because Vicky said she listens, and so does Tara. Say she's listening, Tara and Jack. And then, of course, there's my brother Scott and his wife Kath. And then, of course, we got to listen to Co- go to Coco and um, Coco and Bruce and, and the kids and my sister Val, who I love dearly. I mean, and you now Dutch is in town, so I'm excited because you'll get the get to talk to him this this weekend. Do I really want to? Yeah, he's good. He's good. I gotta be honest. He's a good interview. And then um, you know my friend Jen, who's always listening. But I, you know, I, I'm blessed to have a, just a big family, and we're really, really close. So as annoying as it may seem that I always have to give my shout outs to me, it means something special because all these people are so special in my life. Well, Coach, glad we could be a part of that. Just uh... forget mom either. You know, I gotta throw my mom in there. Fair enough. That that seems to be more or less everybody in the family. Fair enough. Fair enough. H-bomb, yeah. I think I hate everybody. Well, I think that should do it more or less for us this week. Fordham comes away with a 1-1 one one split in the most recent week. They play just one game this week. Then they get one of those nice Atlantic 10 buys where they're able to maybe enjoy some time off. We'll be asking Coach Gately what she does with that time coming up in next week's edition. You you can't miss that, certainly. So for Coach Stephanie Gately, I'm Mike Watts. Again, Saturday afternoon, the game will be on WFUVsports.org and on uh, Atlantic 10 Digital Network, Rams All Access. You can catch that on FordhamSports.com. For our entire WFUV crew, this has been the Stephanie Gately Show podcast. So long.